Okay, we are still in 1 Peter. If you've been there from Christy reading the, the 1 Peter 2, we're going to be studying that this morning, so you're in the right spot. So, one of the stereotypes of toddlers and teenagers, as I say those words, <laughs> toddlers and teenagers, some thoughts come to your mind, right? One of the stereotypes is that they are rebellious against authority, right? They just like that word, no. And uh, they carry that through for years and years and years. And the crazy thing is, as you know, young parents, we want to have children and submit ourselves to going through that with them. But what we realize is, you know, that that rebellion, that stereotype that they have uh, from toddlers and children and their attitude of no, doesn't just automatically go away when you turn 20 or 40 <laughs> or 60, does it? It continues on and sometimes that rebellious attitude can sink deep into our lives even as adults and even Christians especially when it comes to one of the things that Peter's talking about in 1st Peter chapter 2 and that is obeying authority right this morning we're looking at that specifically verses 13 to 20 and Peter is writing to the early church one to warn them to watch out what to watch out for but also he's writing to the early church to say as a Christian, as a redeemed individual, as a new creation in Christ, where you have died to yourself and you now live for Christ, this is how you should act and this is what you should do. And one of the things he says here is where you don't hear a lot of sermons on is that Peter says you are to obey authority and worldly leaders. So let's read it again real quickly. We read some of it. This would be the third time this morning. 1 Peter 2, 13 to 20. It says, submit yourselves. In other words, you don't have somebody else do it for you or to make you do it. You do it yourselves. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Servants, I will change that to laborers this morning. Employees, be submissive to your masters with respect. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, and this finds favor with God. Wow, this is stuff we want to stick on a refrigerator, right? We just want to have this verse every day, you know, kind of memorize these verses, right? Um, the interesting thing is that when Peter wrote this letter, he was about one or two years away from what is called the Great Persecution in Rome, about 64 AD, that it happened. And it was a rough time for Christians, and that's what makes this letter so interesting because of what was going on in the early church, the early Christian community, where Peter says, in spite of all that's going on, God wants you to obey those in authority. Well, here's what happened. A fire broke out in Rome, a huge fire. If you go back and study your history, there were a lot of Romans that died. 
and there were a lot of buildings were destroyed. And uh, most people agree, as well as most historians, that the fire was actually started by Caesar Nero. But it was such a controversial issue that Rome's own authority would have started the fire that Caesar realized he needed a scapegoat. Now, you all know what a scapegoat is, right? Um, it's someone who needs to take the blame for something to kind of calm things down. And the Old Testament a scapegoat was one that symbolically carried the sin of the people upon it during the Passover, and it was sent out into the wilderness to basically go out and die, because the punishment for sin is what? Yes. Death. So that scapegoat took the sin for the people and carried it out to that point of death. Well, Caesar needed a scapegoat because the entire nation was after him for starting a fire. So he started the thought that the Christians of Rome started the fire. Where, if you know as a Christian, we're trying to build up, not to tear down, so that just doesn't make sense. But he accused them of arson and began persecuting them horribly as a public spectacle to make sure that the whole nation thought it was them to start the fire instead of him. Well, in addition to that, about halfway through his reign, Caesar started to fancy himself as a great chariot race, racer. We would equate that to today to like the NASCAR 500, that if you're one of the top people, you know, the Andretti's or whatever, that that was pretty cool. And he loved racing so much that Caesar had um, a track built around the palace so he could race chariots all day long. Um, he also loved it so much that he wanted to race his chariots at night. But there's a problem in Rome at 64 AD, isn't there? There's no electricity, there's no gas lighting, so when it gets dark, it's dark, right? So Caesar had a solution to this. He came up with the idea that was very simple, but he would have his guards round up the Christians in the community if they proclaimed to have faith in Jesus Christ. He would throw them in the uh, palace prison for a while, and then he would take them out to his tracks during the day, tie them up on post on the inner part of the tracks, cover them with tar and pitch, and then as it got dark, set them on fire so that they would light the track up so that he could race at night. That in mind, can you picture yourself now as a Christian, AD 64, you know what is happening with Caesar, you know you've been falsely accused, you know he's gathering people up and literally burning them alive so he can do what? Race his chariots at night. And then Peter comes out and says, I want you to obey all authority. You see an issue there as a Christian? I mean, sure, you'd be excited to do that, right? What do you think the thought process was of these early Christians when they realized that here's Peter, the pastor, coming saying, as a Christian, you need to obey all authority. Well, the question arises, even in today's society, as a Christian, is there ever a time when a Christian should defy authority or not submit? Have you ever asked that question? The answer is, absolutely. It's very simple, there is. That said, let's go back to what Peter is saying. Submit to authority. You see, the standard rule of the Bible is this. You and I as Christians are to submit to authority and leaders, earthly leaders, until 
Submitting to earthly leaders causes us to disobey our heavenly leader. That's the general principle. We submit until submission calls us to defy God. Give you a couple examples. Old Testament stuff. Pharaoh of Egypt, the leader, the king, self-proclaimed God of Egypt, commanded that all Hebrew boys be killed. Well, the early Hebrew midwives realized that God had said, Thou shalt not kill, and especially babies. So they did not obey Pharaoh, and they did not kill the babies. And who did we get out of that? Moses. Moses, right? Example two, King Darius. During the Medo-Persian king made a law that for an entire month, no one was to pray to any, quote, God except for him. Well, at that time, Daniel, the prophet of God, happened to be there. And Daniel, every day, three times a day, opened his windows and visibly prayed to God in spite of what the king had commanded. Why? Because we are only to worship the Lord our God. Example number three, New Testament. The Jewish Sanhedrin passed a religious law on the spur of the moment, kind of a knee-jerk reaction to what was going on with uh, Peter and John, that no one should no longer preach in the name of Jesus. Well, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John say, we don't know whether that's right or not, but God calls us to preach, so we're going to continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, irrelevant of what you say. You see, there is a time to disobey. The majority of our life, we are called to obey God, to obey God by obeying our religion, our, our worldly leaders. But when that causes us to disobey God, then that is the time that we do not obey our worldly leaders. With that, we also have to be willing to do something. We are indebted to Christ, correct? We are indebted to Christ for our very salvation, our very lives, our very eternity. It's like what was written in the book of Philemon. When Paul writes to Philemon, remember that little one chapter story in the New Testament about Philemon? Philemon was the slave that ran away. And Paul writes and says, we want you to take him back because he's come back to, he's come to salvation and he's a brother of ours now. I want you to take him back as more than a slave, but actually as a brother and forgive him. And if any account, put that on my account if he owes you anything. And then he turns around and says, oh, and by the way, I was the one that led you to Christ in salvation. You owe me. In Christ, we owe him. We are indebted to him for a debt that we could not pay for our salvation. Correct? The forgiveness of our sins. So with that, when it comes to obeying God, which causes us to not obey our worldly leaders because it causes us to disobey God, in that indebtedness to Christ, we must also be willing to pay the consequence of not obeying our leaders. Because typically when we don't obey them, they're not real happy, right? And there's often a cost. Oftentimes we think of Adolf Hitler as a leader during the, the Holocaust, of how hard do you think it was for Christians and Jews to obey a leader that made laws that went against God? Well, there were many that didn't follow Adolf Hitler. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of them. It cost him his life. Um, our modern government passes their own laws, which cause us to question um, whether we should obey them or not. Laws such as abortion laws, 
killing a life, laws such as same-sex marriage laws, which don't fit within the Bible. We as Christians are going to be confronted with a choice in our life of how we honor God, whether we obey worldly leaders or we obey God or we do both. Back to our text. 1 Peter 2, verse 14 tells us this. It says we are to obey authorities, whether that's police officers, governors, presidents, leaders, whatever you want to call them. For what reason? Because those individuals are placed by God in authority to punish evildoers. Right? Isn't that what the Word of God said? Now, it's kind of like this. Here's how I put this. When you're driving on the highway, you love to see a state patrol officer, don't you? Uh-huh. Now, because of my younger days, I have a past, some issues, some, thank God, forgiven history, sometimes which my wife reminds me about, that I used to have a few speeding tickets. So my habit is, if I'm on the interstate and I see a state patrol parked over on the side with his radar gun out, I instantly panic and guess where I look? Right down at the speedometer. And I have this quick prayer. I have a very religious moment, a very spiritual moment. I cry out to God and I say, God, please help him not to see me. Right? But then when I look at my speedometer and I'm going the speed limit, my whole attitude changes. And I have another prayer that comes out and I says, God, thank you for that police officer. Officer is helping keep the law and keeping the ground safe. Isn't that wonderful? Now that's pretty fickle, but anybody else in here ever do that? You have that 911 prayer until you see that you're going the speed limit and then it's okay. Kino doesn't typically have that problem on his bicycle because he doesn't get up to 55 miles an hour. Only going downhill, right? The authorities are placed in position to punish evildoers. So the thing is, if you're not a lawbreaker, if you're not an evildoer, if you're not doing something wrong, there is no reason to fear that authority, is there? The only time to fear that is when you're doing something wrong because your fear really isn't over what you're doing. Your fear is what? Getting caught, right? That's what we fear. So what is the purpose for submission for a Christian? Why would Peter tell us that as Christians to honor God, we're supposed to obey authority? Well, he tells us if you go back one verse in 1 Peter 2, chapter 13, he says, I want you to do this for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. In other words, Peter says, I want you to obey authority to honor God. You see, God wants his people, in essence, to be stabilizers in our society. You ever think about that? A stable, what is a stabilizer? A stabilizer is something that keeps things on even balance, right? God wants his people to be those stabilizers in society, to be the ones that when things go bad, people can turn to and go to because they're grounded, they're solid, they don't waver, okay? You ever look around our society and think it's kind of gone awry, really bad? I mean, it's, you think it's gone totally off the deep end, you just can't believe the stuff you're seeing on the television and the news, the things that are being promoted at your work or in our government, and you're like, what the heck is going on? You know, and you start praying, God, come quickly, come right now, because this is, this is crazy. And yet God keeps us here for a time for the reason that he wants his people to be the stabilizers in society, to be those ones who are grounded in the word of God, who are solid, who are genuine, who are the real deal, 
who don't just become fickle and go along with every little thing that comes along. So he wants us to submit. And the reason we are to submit is for the Lord's sake. And when it comes down to it, we are to submit simply because God said to do it. Right? Well, those are easy words to hear, right? But they're hard to do. When God says something, he just says, okay, just do it. It's easy to hear, but isn't that a challenge to obey sometimes? Somebody says, I just want, just want you to do this, and you're like, well, why? And they're like, you know what? Just do it. And we struggle with that. Jesus continues this thought on in the New Testament later on about honoring God just because God said to do it because Jesus comes out and says, if you love me, if you love my Father, you will do something. And you know what he says you will do? You will obey me and keep my commands. Pretty straightforward and hard to argue with that, isn't it? I mean, there's not a lot of gray area there where Jesus says, hey, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will obey, and you'll obey my Father. Pretty straightforward. What that says is this. If we or others are constant lawbreakers, irrelevant of how good of a Christian we say we are, we don't love Jesus. Isn't that the correlation? Because Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey. Therefore, if you don't obey and submit, it simply says, you and I don't love Jesus like we say we do. You see, things are easy to flow out of the mouth, but it's being a doer of the word, having that in action, that makes impact, doesn't it? It's kind of like parenting. Every parent loves that child that obeys, right? The one that says, yes, sir, every time you come to do something. The one that never argues, the one that's just perfect and always does the right thing. But if you've ever been a parent and had more than one child, you know that sometimes you have that other child, right? You know what I say when I say the other child? You have the little perfect one that obeys and always does right, and then there's the what? Other child that is constantly saying, why? How come I have to? Well, he and she doesn't have to. It's not fair. And as a good parent, with all your great experience and background and your, your psychology degrees and everything, when they ask you those questions, what do you come back and say to them? Because I told you to, or I said so. Good talk, parents. Great, great conversation, right? But isn't that what we do? You get to that breaking point and you're so frustrated, you just say, just do it because I told you to do it. Well, isn't that what God is telling us? Submit, obey, and we're crying, why should we do that? Have you seen our leaders? They're idiots. Do you hear? Do you know the decisions they're making? And God says, just do it. Just obey. Just submit. In other words, God just says, because I said so. Jesus said, once again, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And the commands are to submit to authority. Now, Peter adds something else in here in 1 Peter 2.15 which this, again, 
no gray area, no need to question about, well, is it right or is it wrong to obey authorities? Peter tells us that to obey authority is simply this. It is the will of who? It's the will of God. You know, there's not too many places where um, scripture just comes out except for a couple that says, this is the will of God. In other words, in case you're confused about this, let me make it clear. This is the will of God to submit to authorities. Kind of hard to get away from that one, isn't it? Well, the central issue is this. God is saying that Christians should not only be stabilizers in society, should not only honor him by placing authority because God has placed them there, even if they are wicked or evil, but that Christians should be a good citizen. Doesn't that make an impact? I mean, a Christian who is a good citizen, who honors God, has a clear conscience and has a good reputation, right? <clears throat> one man wrote a letter to the IRS, a very candid letter one time, and he wrote this letter, he says, Dear Sirs at the IRS, I, I can't sleep. I am so frustrated at night and guilty. I can't sleep. Last year, I, did my fi I filed my income taxes, and I deliberately misrepresented my income. And now I can't sleep because I'm guilty. Enclosed is $150 to pay for the back taxes that I owe. If I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest. Oh. <laughs> But I'm bum. <laughs> Semi-honest letter, but he's really what? Just trying to buy off time to make his conscience clear, isn't he? Don't a lot of people do that? Well, if I just do this, then I'll have a good conscience. If I just do some good things, then I'll cover the bad things. God wants us to obey local authorities because it gives us a good conscience. We have nothing to hide. Now, some people at this point might be saying, you know what? I don't like my authorities and I don't agree with them. I'm not asking you to agree with the authorities in your government. That's not what the Bible says. It doesn't say for you to agree with their decisions because a lot of times there are decisions that are not biblical, correct? We're not being asked to agree with them. You have a right to an opinion and a decision as long as it lines up with what God calls us to do. We have the right and the freedom to disagree but still in that, even when our leaders make unbiblical decisions, we're called to submit to them until when? Until it causes us to disobey God and then we don't have to submit. The main reason we submit to authorities is simply because it honors God. And isn't that what we're called to do as Christians? Isn't that what our life is about as a Christian, as we live unto Christ, is to bring honor and glory to God? That's what it's all about. There's also an outward reason besides that inward reason of honoring God with our heart and our actions. It's found in verse 15. And Peter says this, You are to submit in order to silence the ignorant, foolish men. Well, the issue here is this. The world, because it's God, is not the God of heaven, but the devil, the world is always looking for a reason to discredit the reality of God, isn't it? I mean, that's in essence what Satan is trying to do as he comes to steal, kill, and destroy all that God's done. The world is looking to discredit God for any reason whatsoever. And the reality is, we as Christians 
often the world looks to us as a representation of the God that we serve, right? Because they don't believe in God to them. The word of God and God himself is foolishness. So they look to Christians to see what kind of people we are because that exemplifies the kind of God that we serve. So to be a good citizen, to honor God, we should be obeying, we should be stabilizers, we should be good citizens with a clear conscience so that when they look at us, as the Bible says in the New Testament, there is no reason and no guilt found in us. That's what the call of God is upon our life. You see, the central message of the gospel of Christ is redemption. So a redeemed person in Christ leads a righteous life, correct? Because we are a, what kind of creation? A new creation. And as the Bible says, we've said many times, we have died to ourselves, and the life we now live, we live unto whom? Unto Christ. We are redeemed, and we are to share that redeemed message of Christ with everyone else. Verse 16 goes on to say, as Peter says, you are to do this for a very interesting reason, because you are free. He says, as free men, which we are freed in Christ, right? We are freed from the bonds of sin and death through Christ. He says, as free men, use your liberty to submit to authorities in essence. Well, most people think that submission and freedom are what? Opposite ends of the spectrum, right? They're like, well, if you have to submit, you're over here, but if you're free, you're over here, right? Biblically, that's not true. You see, freedom doesn't mean that you are free to do as you like and want to do. Freedom means that you are free to choose what you ought to do. Not what you want to do, but you are free to choose what you ought to do. In other words, nobody has to make you do it. You see, if you have a back to our child look again, when we're having that conversation, you're like, because I said so, and if they don't obey, there is a punishment, right? A punishment to do what? To make them obey. So what Peter is saying here is, you are free men in Christ. You have been freed from sin and death and bondage. You are free to use your freedom in a right way. And freedom isn't just doing what you want. We see that definition of freedom in society, don't we? Well, I'm free to make up my own mind. I'm free to say whatever I want. I'm free to do whatever I want. That is not freedom. Real freedom is having the maturity and the freedom to make the choice to do what you should do over just having a free-for-all. That's what real freedom is. When our nation's men and women fight for freedom, they fight for a nation that we have the right to have a good nation, right? And that doesn't mean having a free-for-all. That means having a good nation that we use our freedom, we use our liberty to make good decisions. Let's look at it this way. There's a young girl in junior high that has a future and a very good promise with her physical ability to become a world-class figure skater. So her parents 
spend the money to buy her great equipment. Her parents spend the money and make the effort to make sure she's at a good ice rink. And somewhere along the line, they come across the opportunity to have one of the best coaches in the world train their daughter to be a figure skater, okay? So the coach walks up to the family and the young girl and he says, I will train you under one condition. They're like, okay, what is it? He says, I will train you under this condition. If you choose me to be your coach, I own you. You will eat what I tell you to eat when I tell you to eat. You will practice when and how I tell you to practice. You will sleep when and how I tell you to sleep. You will obey everything I tell you to do. Oh, that's so restrictive, right? Well, as a parent with a child that has a, the potential of a world-class figure skater, what would you probably do? You'd probably say yes. And so this little girl and her parents say, yes, we agree with that. Well, immediately her life changes. She is put on a regimented schedule by her coach. She sleeps certain hours. She has a very restrictive diet. She practices and practices and practices. She chooses in her freedom to obey this coach, even though there is much discipline and rigor that goes with this. She chooses this freedom over the freedom to go out with her girlfriends and have sleepovers and see the movies and eat pizza and gossip and talk about the cute boys. She chooses that freedom to come under the coach's discipline instead of have all that fun stuff. Well, as the years go on, the coach continues to discipline her and her friends and her parents start to get worried because they're like, you don't come out and join us anymore. You're always practicing. You're always doing this. Your whole focus is on winning the prize. And they begin to get concerned. Here's where things change. This same little girl, a few years later, stands on the top of the podium in the Olympics with a gold medal. And suddenly everyone says what? It was worth it. Suddenly no one is saying, well, we didn't get to have a sleepover. We didn't get to go out and check out the boys and watch the movies and do all this stuff. Suddenly everyone is saying, man, that was such a good choice. And here's what also happens. By this young girl's choice, in her liberty, her freedom to choose to come under the discipline of this coach instead of do what she wants to do. This choice of coming under the discipline of a coach gives her additional freedoms now, right? I mean, you've seen the Olympic athletes when they win the gold medal. Um, who was the guy recently, the last couple Olympics that won like seven gold medals for swimming? Did his life change after that? Absolutely. Do you think his life got better? In some ways it did. Suddenly, you see him on all kinds of commercials all over the place, right? Because he is a world-renowned figure. Everybody knows his name. There are posters where little kids are saying, I want to be like him. He's on commercials, which the good thing is when you're in a commercial, you get what? You get paid. Suddenly, he is giving, given new freedoms because of that discipline freedom he chose. He now has freedom financially. He has freedom throughout the world that people know him and give him favors because of his fame. He has new freedoms because of that choice of freedom to discipline himself first. 
And that's in essence what Peter is causing us to, to, sit, to do, is to give up our freedom to do what we want and how we think and say whatever we want to say and do whatever we want to do, to use our freedom in a disciplined manner under, under God, which most times, almost always, when you do that, enables you to have more freedoms. Let's take it back to work, right? Well, y'all love all your bosses throughout your life, right? They're always your favorite, right? You never complain about them. You're never frustrated with them. You always believe in the decisions that your bosses make, right? Right. Mm-hmm. There's always that issue with the challenging authority. But when you choose to obey them, and to honor them because of your freedom and liberty that you could rebel, but you don't, you choose to obey them. Does that give you most often more freedoms later? Typically because they see you as a good worker. They see you as someone they can trust and they don't have to micromanage. They see you as someone that exemplifies a good employee, a good laborer. And in essence, it gives you more freedoms. I've kind of experienced this a little bit in my own where my now ex-manager micromanages some people. But because of my discipline and obeying God, I don't have to deal with that. You know how nice it is to not be micromanaged? To constantly have someone calling you up going, what are you doing? Where are you at? What's going on right now? Did you do this? Did you do that? Did you do this? It's so nice to be trusted, right? It's so nice that they're like, we don't have to check up on them because we know if they say they're going to do something, they're going to do something. You see where that freedom of coming under God's discipline actually gives us more freedoms later? And that's what Peter's saying. He goes, as free men, you are free. Use your liberty in a good way. Don't use your liberty for your own temptations and lust and desires and to say what you want to say and do whatever you feel like doing because you can. Peter says, use your freedom in a disciplined way to honor God and to obey, which entitles you later on to have more freedoms. Restrictive freedom by choice to submit is always well rewarded with new freedoms. And that's part of what Peter's trying to tell us is that you know what, this is a hard choice, I get it. It's hard to obey authorities. And put yourself back in Peter's place. Again, AD 64, Caesar Nero is killing and burning Christians alive. And Peter comes out and says, until it causes you to disobey God, obey him. Would that be a challenge? Absolutely. Do you have challenges with our current leadership? Yeah? As long as it doesn't cause you to disobey God, we are called to what? Obey. And that enables us to have more freedoms. So what's the purpose of submission? Well, we looked at a couple. Number one, it honors God. As Peter says, it is literally the will of God that we do this. So it honors God. It gives us a good witness. As, God, as people look to us to see what God is really like, it gives us that positive witness with a clear conscience of a righteous life. That there is something there more than the freedom the way the world sees it it gives us more freedoms and it verifies an action that we truly do love Jesus Christ why because if we obey the commands of Christ 
it proves one thing. What is that? That we truly do love him. Right? Isn't that what Jesus says multiple times in the Bible? So let's stop here. We'll finish up the rest next week. But here's the challenge. You have a right to an opinion. You have the freedom to have that opinion, right? But you also have the freedom in Christ that most of the world doesn't have. And that is this. You are freed from the bounds and the bonds, the shackles of sin and death. Christ has freed you from that. For the Christian, there is therefore no more condemnation. You are completely free. The question is now, is this. How do you use the freedom that God has given you? Do you use it to honor God? Or do you use it to get what you want? The world's way is to say, I have freedom. I can do anything I want to do and you can't stop me. God says, use your freedom in a manner that brings God glory, shows a good witness, and eventually brings you new freedoms and proves that you love Christ. So this week, the challenge is to submit. Not only to submit, but I would go one step further. And if you have leaders that are a challenge to you, an authority that is a challenge, I think the biblical precept is to do one thing for them. And what is that? Pray, Pray for them. Pray for them and put them in God's hands that God would work with them, that God would bring them to salvation and God would bring them to the same freedom that you have and change their life. Just like God has radically changed your life and my life. Amen? So this week, choose your freedoms in Christ to submit by choice because you are free that nobody has to make you Let's pray. Father, we come to you, and uh, Lord, we know this is a good message. It's a right message, but it can also be very challenging, Father, as we do have our opinions, and we get frustrated with the, the mindset of the world and the way that the world is going and, and the, the, the darkness of sin and the vastness of wickedness. But Lord, we are reminded of who we are in you, that those people are really not free. They are still bound by sin and under the control of the devil, and they are not free at all. And we are. And therefore, we choose to obey you as you've spoken through Peter and call us to submit. To submit because it honors you and it glorifies you. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the mindset to do this with joy and with happiness as we serve you until, Lord, it causes us to not obey you. And then, Lord, we choose to follow you in that moment. And we trust that you provide for us and protect us. We pray this to your glory in Christ's name. Amen.